Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Are we doing all right this morning? I mean, this is an incredible day. I've shared with uh, several so far, uh, just you know, throughout the week, that we are celebrating a birthday today, and uh, and believe it or not, statistically, a church, a brand new church, eighty percent of brand new churches close within the first two years. So every year we celebrate is a miracle of God, and and so we are excited to celebrate today, and uh, and I, I know that we've got some delicious desserts prepared for us afterwards, so that's going to be uh, fun and exciting. Uh, for those of you that are new, my name is Pastor Joey, and uh, we welcome you here today. We believe everyone matters to God, that you have a purpose and a plan, and as we've been praying, that God would bring new folks to our church on our Thursday night uh, prayer nights. We know that you're not here by accident. You're here because God has a purpose for you, and, uh, and we always believe that if we come, we may come the same, but we will leave changed because we enter the presence of God. And and so we know that that today will be a blessing because God is here. He's got something prepared for us, and we are excited to be a part of that in your life. Today we are uh, in week four of a series we started to leading up to Easter, the, the week of Holy Week, and we've kind of been unpacking and dissecting really the story that we celebrate every year. Jesus dying and rising from the dead, and the events that led up, because this event has um, arguably been the most powerful, the most memorable, and the most life-changing event ever to happen in human history. And so it, it has affected the world over. And so we're looking at these stories to reconnect our hearts to maybe what has kind of gone silent through the traditions over the years. Um, but um, today is going to be a, a pivotal moment in, in the timeline of these 57 days that changed the world. Because today we're talking about day 57. T- today is day 57. So we're getting near the end of, of our series today. But we're going to pray. We're going to invite God to just come in and, and open our hearts. And then we're going to see from his word what he has for us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for living a perfect life, that you could be our our sacrifice, and that you went to the cross willingly so that we could be saved. And we thank you, God, for sending your Son, because all who call on the name of Jesus can be saved. We can be redeemed. We can be healed. We can be transformed. We can find new hope. God, there's so many things in this world that leaves us empty and broken, but one thing is for sure— Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And those who put their faith and trust in him will discover rivers of living water that will spring up to an overflowing and abundant life. And we worship him today. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We ask you to give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind that understands, and a heart ready to believe everything that you have for us and respond to what you will for us today. And all God's people said... Amen, amen, and amen. All right, we're going to jump right in. We are in Acts chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. The verses will also be on the screen. You can also navigate through the YouVersion Bible app. But we're just going to begin reading. Again, this is, this is just before Jesus ascends into heaven. As we're leading up to the day we're going to be talking about today, here's what the, the Scripture says in Acts chapter, beginning in chapter 1, verse 3. It says, During the 40 days... 
after Jesus suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. We talked about this last week. Over 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he would appear, and he would do things like eat with his disciples, and he would prepare meals for them. They, they could touch his, his scars and his body so that there was no doubt that, that he was real, he was alive, and it wasn't just a figment of their imagination. And so Jesus is appearing, he's proving to them in many ways that he is alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. If you remember the first week we talked about Palm Sunday, they were, they were praising the coming of Jesus, riding on the donkey. Why? Because they knew the prophecies of the Old Testament that when the Messiah comes to Jerusalem, it meant the kingdom of God was about to unfold. Where the king, the eternal God of glory, would sit on the throne in Jerusalem. He'd reestablish the Israelite kingdom. Peace would come to the earth. And heaven would literally begin on the earth. This was a big day. So here Jesus, before he ascends to heaven, he's talking to them about the kingdom of God. Verse 4. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised you, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was promising the coming of the Holy Spirit. So think about it this way. It wasn't enough for the disciples just to believe in Jesus. It wasn't enough for them to have been baptized with water because John baptized them all. That wasn't enough. Right, right. If we think about armed day and time, that's kind of the normal Christian, the normal church experience. You come, you get baptized, you get to be part of the group, you place your faith and trust in Christ, and then we just try as hard as we can to modify our schedule so we can make it to church services every week. Right, but that's not what Jesus said was the purpose of what we're doing. Matter of fact, he said that's not enough. That's not enough for your life. That's not what God intends for you. There's something else that's coming, something important, something that you need, and you need it for a specific reason. But what I love here in the story is as he's telling his disciples this, you can kind of picture them kind of like smiling and nodding and be like, yeah, okay, you know, that, that sounds cool. But when they respond to Jesus, you can tell they had something else on their mind. So Jesus is like, look, the Spirit's coming, and then, but here's how they respond. Verse 6, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, what's that say? Has the time come for you to free Israel and restore the kingdom? So again, just like the other Jews in the, that time, they were hoping when the Messiah came that that meant the eternal kingdom was coming, that all the promises, all the prophecies that they had been believing, that they were going to be fulfilled for all of these things they've been hoping for for hundreds of years. So Jesus says, look, stay here in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit is coming. And it's like they blow rice past that, and they said, yeah, yeah, cool, but is the kingdom coming? Is the kingdom coming? Like, like, is it time? Is it time for the kingdom? But look what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, the Father, verse 7, ha alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They're not for you to know. In other words, the kingdom, that's not your concern. Don't worry about that. The kingdom's going to come. 
Heaven is going to come to earth. There is a day marked on the calendar of heaven where all things will be fulfilled. The Father has declared this will come to pass. But right now, guys, that's not your focus. Don't be concerned with this. There's, there's something I need you to do, and I don't want you sitting around your house waiting for the trumpet to sound, neglecting this thing that I have for you to do. It's like Jesus is having this conversation, and, I, and again, I can just picture it. He's like, yeah, guys, I got something really important to tell you. And like, oh, okay, yeah, but the kingdom. And he's like, no, 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 don't worry about that. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. And they're like, yeah, yeah, cool, but the kingdom. You know, you can see this back and forth. They cut him off again. You know, I, I, you know they, other times there was a time that John and, and his brother James were talking to Jesus, and his, their mom put him up to this. So, you know, as any good mom would looking out for their boys, they wanted to know if James and John could sit at Jesus' right hand in the kingdom. So they're always worried about their position and what's going on in the kingdom of God. And I can just see this back and forth. They're like, yeah, yeah, Holy Spirit, cool. Well, yeah, but in the kingdom, like, do we get our own room or do we still got to share like we've been over the last three years? You know, I'm just like, you just say, well, like, what's it going to be like? Like, do I get like the 75-inch flat panel TV screen or are we still doing like the, the modest thing, you know, that we're doing here? And I can just see Jesus just like shaking his head and be like, dudes, seriously, forget about the future. There's something I need you to know for right now. For today, there's something important I have to tell you. It's really important that you get this. Heaven is coming, but your job isn't to wait for heaven to come. Your job is to prepare the earth to receive heaven. And the spirit that the Father is getting to pour out, the one that he's promised to come, when he comes, you're going to receive the power you need to prepare the earth for heaven to come. And you see, this is where many believers are stuck today. They know Jesus is coming back. And it's, and it's like they, they know that he's talked about the promise of his spirit, the coming of his spirit, the work that we have to do. But some believers are so obsessed with the return of Jesus Christ, it's like that's all they can think about. They watch the news day in and day out looking for the signs. And when they discover something new in scripture they didn't know before, they'll, they'll write a new book or they'll put out a new sermon or they'll come out with a new YouTube video. And it's like everything's about the return of Christ, the return of Christ, the return of Christ. And I said, yes, that is our blessed hope. Jesus is coming back. And one day we don't have to struggle with any of this nonsense anymore. Like it's a glorious day. But until he comes... There's something we have to do. We're not to be busy watching the skies for him to return. That's what the angels told the disciples when he ascended into heaven. He's like, look, why are you looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who was taken up from you is going to return in like manner. He's coming back. It's like, so quit watching the sky, waiting for him to come. Get focused on what he commanded you to do. He said, wait in Jerusalem and wait until the promised gift comes. 
And I, I think today, one of the reasons why churches struggle so much and why, why we struggle to fill our, our seats and why we struggle to see God work and move is because many believers are locked in their homes waiting for the rapture that may or may not even come when the Spirit's already been poured out and they've been called and commissioned for a job and a work. Look in verse 8. Here's what Jesus says. He says, you will receive power. Somebody say power. Power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when he comes, he's not just coming into the world, he's coming upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Somebody say witnesses. And you're going to tell people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit's coming, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is to empower the church in the present time to represent Jesus Christ, to tell the world about Jesus Christ, to confirm the truth of the words that Christ has shared with us, and to prepare the world for his arrival. Jesus is telling his disciples in this moment, as he's commissioned them to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all the things I have commanded you, and know this, I will be with you even until the end of the world, to the end of the age. You're going to go in the power and might of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to set the stage for my return. And this is not new information, because in Matthew 24, well before Jesus was ever crucified, he's teaching his disciples, and he begins to tell them about the things at the end, the things to come, the stuff that they're super excited about. And in Matthew 24, 14, Jesus tells them, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So his promise was, before the end of the world can come, the gospel's got to be preached from sea to shining sea, from the four corners of the earth. The gospel's got to go out across the whole world. So if we are that interested in Jesus coming back, we should be even more interested in the gospel going out. Often in the ancient world, before a conquering nation would come in and, and begin to siege an area or begin to attack an area, they would send in emissaries to kind of negotiate the terms of the other nation's surrender. There are many uh, allusions to this in the Old Testament, uh, one of which is with King Hezekiah. The king of Assyria sends their, uh, uh, I think Sennacherib sends his guy in to talk to Hezekiah and the other officials about their terms of surrender. And he's kind of dogging them. And he's saying, what nation has been able to stand up against Assyria? What God has been able to stand against the king of Assyria? We, we've killed every nation we've been against. We've destroyed every God. Your God's no different. We're going to stand against you. You're going to be destroyed. You might as well just submit now. And of course, Hezekiah says, no, you don't know our God. And he stays faithful. And overnight, the angel of the Lord kills 150,000 of their troops and sends them packing. It's an amazing story. But this is what normally would happen in the ancient world. They would send an emissary out to kind of negotiate the terms of another nation's surrender. And, and so they would send them out, and often they would send them out with, with the military might so that they can enforce the terms of the surrender. When Jesus says we're going to be witnesses, and Paul also says that we are his ambassadors, we, as ambassadors of King Jesus, of the kingdom of heaven, we're being sent out to negotiate the terms of surrender to the world. 
to go into all the world and preach the gospel that, that now there's not just one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, right? The enemy, Satan, has ruled this world. The Bible calls him the God of this world. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't do anything unless it is to offend God, to hurt God's heart, and to destroy who God loves, and that's his people. That's all Satan does. Twists and lies, manipulates, deceives. When Jesus came, he made it possible for us to exist in another kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. To get transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his marvelous light. And so as we are being sent out into the world, we're being sent out to negotiate the terms of surrender. Because Jesus rose with all power and authority. He conquered it all. And the terms of surrender for the world is a good thing because rather than everlasting death, Jesus brings with him everlasting life. It's a good thing. That's why the gospel actually just means good news. It's good news. It's good news for those who choose Christ, but not so good for those who choose to remain against Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. You want to see God's power on full display? Watch what happens in a life that's changed when they come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. Watch the change that begins to happen in a person's life where they go from being who they used to be into who God always knew they were. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. I'm not ashamed about the gospel. Why? It's the power of God at work saving everyone who believes to the Jew first and then also the Gentile. So what Jesus is doing is not just sending us out into the world to, to bear witness of the truth. He's sending us to save people, not to condemn people, but to save them. And unlike the ambassadors of the world nations, the, the world leaders who carry their king's seal, who have guards and military personnel to help secure the, 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 the surrender of the opposing nation, the weapons of our warfare aren't of the flesh. They're not of this world. They're not of flesh and blood because our enemies aren't of flesh and blood. I heard it said here recently that, that if you have somebody against you and you can see them in the flesh, you're not seeing your real enemy. The enemies that we have as the church of Jesus Christ, they're spiritual enemies. They're in the unseen world. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of the unseen world. So we don't need physical weaponry to fight a spiritual enemy. We need spiritual weaponry to fight a spiritual enemy. This is why Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, you're going to receive what? You're going to receive power. The word in the Greek is the word dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. It's explosive power when the Spirit comes upon you. So Jesus seals us with the Holy Spirit when we place our faith and trust in him, but he anoints us with his power when we are baptized in the Spirit. And it's a power to wage a victorious spiritual war. 1 John 4, 4, it says, But you belong to God, my dear children. You've already won a victory. Isn't that amazing? You've already won. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have a relationship with God, you've already won the biggest battle, the biggest victory of your life, which is what? It's going from death to life. That's the greatest battle you ever face. There's no other great battle. We might feel like things are harder to face in this life, but nothing is harder than taking a soul damned to hell and raising it up to have everlasting life in heaven. There's no greater battle. 
And Jesus won that battle. And if we know Jesus and where our faith and trust is in Jesus and the Spirit of God has come to live inside of us, we're on the winning side. You've already won a victory because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirits that live in the world. Jesus promised we'd receive power, dunamis power. And this is why this baptism of the Spirit is key to living a successful Christian life because we cannot fulfill what God has for us to do if we're not walking in the Spirit, if we're not living by the Spirit, if we're not being guided by the Spirit, being taught by the Spirit. We need the anointing of the Spirit to do the works of Christ. So we are baptized into the blood of Christ by the Holy Spirit when we repented of our sins and put our faith and trust in Christ. We're baptized into the death of Jesus and prepared for spiritual life through baptism in water, going down into the grave and coming alive out of the water. We're raised to new life as he's preparing us for this new kingdom ministry. But the final anointing comes when Jesus sends the Holy Spirit and we're baptized in his power to be his witnesses. After saying these things, after telling his disciples these things, Jesus then is taken up into heaven in a cloud, and they're sitting there watching him go. You can just imagine him being like life-size and then getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and as he keeps getting higher and higher, the hearts are sinking deeper and deeper. You can just feel that in the moment. But he leaves Bethany, the place there at the Mount of Olives, with the promise to come back in great power and glory. But not before he leaves, he tells them, go wait in Jerusalem. Go wait. Wait for the promise to come. And this is 40 days after the resurrection. And so they go back to Jerusalem. And 10 days later, on day 57 of 57 days that changed the world, there is a Jewish celebration called Shavuot. It's also called the Feast of Weeks. We know it more commonly as the Feast of Pentecost. It's one of the high holy feasts of Israel where Jews would come from all over the different regions and come to Jerusalem to celebrate this this harvest feast where they would offer the first fruits of their wheat harvest to the Lord. And this festival not only coincided with the harvest of wheat in the nation of Israel, but this also goes back to the Old Testament when God brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness and brought them to the place of Mount Sinai where God's presence came down on the mountain in fire and wind and he gave Moses the Ten Commandments. On that day, back in the book of Exodus, we're not going to look there, but on that day, again, Jesus, God, promised that he would come and he would visit his people. He would reveal his glory so that they would be Uh, God would be their God, and they would be his people forevermore. So God comes down on the mountain in the wind, the lightning, and the earthquake. He shook the mountain with his presence, and he enacted the Old Testament or the Old Covenant with the people of Israel. And that happened exactly 50 days after the first Passover when the death angel passed over the Israelites when they were in Egypt. So 50 days after the first Passover, this moment on Mount Sinai, happened in the nation of Israel after leading them through the Red Sea and and providing for them miraculously through those 40 days on their way to the mountain. So we can see in the life of Jesus that his story kind of follows suit as Jesus is the fulfillment of everything God did through the nation of Israel and everything God promised through the nation of Israel. Jesus is our true Passover lamb as he took our sins and was sacrificed He, just like the nation of Israel, he was buried in the earth as Israel went into the heart of the sea. 
and they came out on the other side. Jesus went into the earth, and he came up out of the grave. Jesus would go into death and conquer it, rising it on the third day. And then over the next 40 days, he would miraculously appear to his disciples, leading them to this place, ultimately, where they would gather in Jerusalem, and the promise of God's coming would happen. And here they are in Acts chapter 2, on day 57. They're huddled together in one place. Beginning in verse 1, it says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And what's the first word in verse 2? What's that say? Suddenly. I love the suddenlies of the Bible. Anytime you see the word suddenly, something awesome is about to happen. Something sweet. I also like the buts in the Bible. There are a lot of buts in the Bible. Anytime you see but, there's usually something cool happening after that too. But here it says suddenly, and I just, I want to pause right there. Because the first thing I notice, these believers, what were they doing? They were gathered in where? One place. Bible says they are of one heart and one mind. They were all of one accord in one place. Do you know that powerful things happen when the people of God are gathered together in one place? There's something special about the gathering of the church. Jesus said, when two or more are gathered in my name, I am right there in their midst. There's something special that can happen anytime the church is gathered together. Powerful things happen when they're also unified in their pursuit of the presence of God. What were they doing? They were expecting the promise to come. They were expecting the Spirit of God to visit them. They were expecting the Spirit of God to show up. Why? Because Jesus promised he was on his way. But what I love here is that they didn't know when he was going to come. They knew he was going to come, but they didn't know when, which is why when he came, it was suddenly. It was suddenly. So they came expecting, but the Spirit came unexpectedly. They were expecting, but He came unexpectedly. This should encourage us that every time we gather for worship, anytime we gather for prayer together, and we position our hearts and our attitudes to encounter the Lord, we come expectingly. He's going to show up unexpectedly. He's going to show up in a way that takes us by surprise. So we come expecting his coming, ready to receive his blessing, surrendering to respond to his will at the moment. And when God shows up, it's life-changing. But sadly, I believe we often miss what God wants to do either because we don't gather or we do and we're not ready to receive or we're here, but we're not believing he will come. Or when he comes, we're not yet surrendered to his will. And so we miss it. We miss what God wants to do in the moment. But here, the disciples, they were all together in one place. They were with one heart and one mind. They were praying together. They were consecrating themselves to position themselves to receive this blessing. And then all of a sudden, the scripture continues. It says, there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. It filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present, right? The Lord left no one out, 
the 120 disciples that were there, they all got the blessing. No one was excluded. No one was exempt. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they all began speaking in other languages as the Spirit gave them this ability, right? They all spoke in tongues. And at that time, they were in the city. There were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, they came running. Like when God showed up, it drew a crowd. When God showed up, it drew a crowd. Signs and wonders will draw a crowd. Signs and wonders will draw people. It sets people up for the message of the gospel. Verse 7, they were completely amazed, this crowd was, saying, how can this be, they exclaimed, for these people are all from Galilee, and yet we're hearing them speak in their own native languages. They couldn't explain it. They heard this mighty wind, and they gather up, and they see this group of 120 people. They knew are from this backwater town where there's not a lot of education. They're all blue-collar people who, who could barely string two sentences together in their own language, but somehow they're speaking fluently in languages that go beyond the city, into the uttermost parts of the earth. If you continue to read, it lists every nation where they were from, every nation known to mankind in that very moment was there, Jews that were there to celebrate this feast. You can go back into the book of Genesis where we see the foundation of this moment. Again, this is the birth of the church of Jesus Christ, the spirit-filled, spirit-empowered New Testament church. And again, we're celebrating nine years today. Can I get a amen? Right? We're celebrating nine years today. But this moment, this is when it all began. This is when the church of Jesus Christ began. It started with 120 and soon grew to over 3,000. This is where the true church of Christ happened right here in the heart of Jerusalem as the spirits poured out and the empowered church begins to rise and proclaim the good things of God. And this goes all the way back to the book of Genesis where mankind, God destroyed the earth with a flood. We begin to repopulate the earth. Instead of fulfilling the earth and subduing it like we were told, we started gathering in cities out of rebellion against God. This guy named Nimrod started messing everything up. He led the people to build a city and build a tower up into heaven because we know from extra-biblical sources that their desire was to kill God and set up their own gods as God. So they were acting in defiance against God once again. And God comes down and sees what they're doing, and he's like, oh, heck no, we're not letting this go on. And he separates them into different languages, different tribes. And rather than being able to work together, they couldn't understand each other, and so they began to migrate away from each other. They began to do what God said to do. Get out of town. Go cover the earth. And so mankind is deunified and we're separated and divided. But right here in this moment, in Acts chapter 2, you have people from all these languages and tribes that were separated at Babel. They're gathered into one place, and the Spirit's poured out. And what once divided mankind was language. They're now unified as they all hear them speak in their own language, as the Spirit of God is interpreting the very language of the gospel of Christ, unifying us all back together again. In who? In Jesus Christ. You want to know how to take a divided nation and bring it back together into unity? Put Jesus at the center of it. Put Jesus at the center of it. And in a moment, these 3,000 faithful Jewish men and probably women and children that were there at the time as well, this massive crowd that become believers in Christ in one moment, they become spirit-filled believers in Christ. They become witnesses of Christ. They become ambassadors of Christ. 
and they leave Jerusalem to go back to their hometown carrying what? The gospel of Jesus. Jesus would send these new ambassadors out into the world to do what? To negotiate the terms of surrender. And many would accept those terms as the church began to grow and expand, but many wouldn't, and they would fight against them. Many missionaries and representatives of Christ would be persecuted, even killed. But, you know, Jesus made us a promise, beloved, that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. Hell can't keep the church out of its gates. It doesn't matter what they try to do to slow us down or to stop us. Hell can't win. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the power and word of our testimony. And through the preaching of the gospel, we are pulling people out of the fire left and right. Matter of fact, there are places in the world where the gospel is exploding and the church is in revival, and it's incredible. By the end of the 5th century, that's 500 A.D., this little group of 120 that became 3,000 and 120, the global Christian population was estimated to be between 10 and 11 million people. The estimated population of the world by 500 A.D. was approximately 190 million, which, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, which means that a little over 5% of the population in just 470 years became born-again believers in Jesus Christ. Christianity not only toppled the reigning and most powerful nation at the time, the Roman government, but it grew to 5% of the population. Today, it's estimated that there are 2.6 billion Christians in the world today. If the sum total of the world's population is 7.8 billion, that makes Christianity the third of the world's population. What started as 12 became 120, became 3,120, to today has become a third of the world's population. And here's the incredible part. There are 195 countries in the world, 158 countries and territories, about two-thirds of all the countries and territories in the world have a Christian presence. What's that tell us? It tells you that the gospel is being preached over the entire world. What Jesus said, what happened, has happened and is happening. In a singular moment on day 57, the 57 days that changed the world, the moment, the final catalyst of this passion story, it brought the undeniable impact of Christianity in the world. And again, Jesus said, when the gospel is preached in every nation, then the end will come. But the Apostle Paul gives us an even deeper understanding in Romans eleven twenty five. Paul tells us this. He says, I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you won't feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts. It means they, they're resistant to the gospel. Right? Jesus was Jewish. The disciples were Jewish. The day of Pentecost, it started with the Jewish people, but there are many in Israel that still would resist because they were tied to the religion, not their faith in Christ. And so they, they can't respond to the gospel. But here's what he says. This will only last until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. What Paul is saying is that 
Salvation is for the Jews, but God's opened the door to the Gentiles, and he knows how many non-Jewish people are going to come to Christ. When that number is satisfied, then his focus is going to be back on the Jewish people. And when does that happen? That happens in the end. At the end of the tribulation, when he comes to reign on his throne. So not only does the gospel have to be preached in every nation, the gospel has to be preached to every person who will receive the gospel before the end will come. 2 Peter 3.9, Peter says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness or slowness, but he's long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want anyone to die and go to hell. He doesn't want anyone to enter into judgment. So he's being patient so that everyone he knows will accept Christ, will hear the gospel message, and will be saved. And what's amazing is in nations where the gospel is not allowed, these third world Islamic nations, Jesus is showing up in visions and dreams, and he's sending people to churches to receive the gospel. It's an amazing phenomenon. There are signs in these Arab countries that says, if you've seen the man dressed in white in your dream, call this number. And people are calling it, and they're getting saved because Jesus is showing up, and he's saying, what you're doing is not working for you. You need to go this route. Call this number. Go see this person. It's incredible. So we're living in a day, beloved, where the work isn't done. There's still things for us to do. Jesus is returning. You can watch the news. You can see the signs. He's going to return just like he left, coming on the clouds with great power and glory. He's going to set down on the foot of the mountain of olives. And the Old Testament says when he touches the mountain, it's going to split in two. It's going to be glorious what happens when Jesus returns. It's going to be awesome. But Jesus is not going to return until everyone who accept him, who will accept him, does. So this means two things for us. We still have a purpose. We still have a purpose. And number two, we still need his power. What's our purpose? To be his witnesses, to be his ambassadors, to represent him, to share the gospel, to confirm the message, to be the eyes and ears, the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. So we have a purpose and we need his power because we can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. We need him as much today as they did 2,000 years ago. And this is the point of response for us today. Have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes for just a moment as we go into a time of response. After this moment, the day of Pentecost, the story of Paul the Apostle happens. It's amazing. We talked about it already in this series. He goes on his missionary journeys. And some, something like 20 years after this moment, Paul is doing his thing and he stumbles upon these disciples of John who since John's death put their faith in Christ 20 years after Pentecost. And he comes to them and he's sharing about what's been going on and he asks them this question. He says, have you received the Spirit? When you believed, did you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? And their response to him, again, 20 years after the day of Pentecost, and they said, we not even heard there was a Holy Spirit. We didn't even know there was something else. We didn't know that there was something that we were missing that we needed. Like, they've been doing the religious thing. They've been doing their best. They've been 
attending services. They've been studying their scriptures, but they, they hadn't received the gift because they didn't know that there was one to receive. And so Peter, right then and there, or Paul, right then and there, baptized them in the name of Jesus Christ, laid hands on them, and prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit. And you know what happened? The Spirit came upon them, filled them with His presence, and they began to speak in tongues, and they began to prophesy. They began to manifest the presence of God in their lives. And why was that important? Why wasn't just believing in Jesus and being water baptized enough? It's because you can't be what God needs you to be without his power. So the question to you today is, have you received the baptism of the Spirit? Have you received it? Have you received the anointing of God on your life? But even before that, the first question we need to deal with, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Is there a time in your life where you recognize that you've made a mess of things and you know that you've made a lot of mistakes and you need God's forgiveness and you come to him and say, Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I know I can't do this on my own, so today I'm making the decision to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. I'm going to trust in his death so I can receive the forgiveness of my sins. God, I need a relationship with you. Please come into my life. If you've not had a moment where you've made that conscious decision, the Bible says you're still separated from God. So first, you need to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you've been walking with God a long time, the question is, is have you been water baptized? Jesus asks us to do it, to follow him in baptism. Why? Because that prepares you to live the Christian life. It prepares you for your kingdom ministry. Do you have to be baptized to receive the gift of the Spirit? Well, no, not necessarily. But are you in, living in obedience with the Lord? Well, if you have been saved and you have been water baptized, have you been filled? Have you received the gift of the Spirit? So the power to prophesy, the power to heal, the power to do signs, wonders, and miracles, the things that that Jesus did while he was here, it was all done through the Holy Spirit. The power to preach the gospel in a way that changes hearts and lives, the power to serve, the power to do the things God's called you to do, it all comes from the Spirit. We can do a lot in our own skill and ability, but we can't do what only God can do. So today the question is, is have you been filled and do you want to be? With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. Those of you that are here, that are available. If you've made that commitment to live for Jesus, and you're ready to surrender your life for what he has, because he has a purpose for you, he wants you to be his witness. He wants you to fulfill his calling on your life, to be his ambassador, to help negotiate the terms of surrender to the world, to be his hands and feet. If you're ready to submit yourself to the Lord, to surrender to his will, to receive the gift of the Spirit, then in just a moment, we're going to invite you to come, and we're going to pray for you. 
We're going to pray that God fills you, and when the Spirit comes, several things can happen. One, you can feel overwhelmed emotionally. You might begin to cry. You might begin to tremble. You might be overwhelmed in the goodness of his presence. Some of you, you might begin to speak in tongues, just feel overwhelmed to start talking, and you might start speaking in a language that you've never been taught and you've never known. Some of you might begin to feel an impression in your heart and mind, a, a word for somebody in the church, something you would never have previous knowledge of, and just feel like, I need to go tell this person to encourage them. That's prophecy. Some of you may fall out in the spirit. You might just become so overwhelmed that you kind of pass out. That's happened before. We, we'll catch you. Don't worry. But when we surrender to God, when we surrender to live for Him, when we surrender to be who He's called us to be, when we turn away from living our own way, we turn away from our fears and our failures, we turn away from our insecurities, and we say, God, I don't understand it, I don't fully get it, but here's what I know. You are my Lord and Savior, and I want everything that you have for me because I want to live for you, and I want to do what you've called me to do. God, I know that there's work to be done. The kingdom of God is coming, and I want to be your witness. God, fill me with your spirit. When you come to him with that heart, he's going to show up in your life. It might be in a dramatic way. It might be in a subtle way, but it's going to be a powerful way. And he's going to begin doing things in you and through you you never thought possible. So if you've never begun a relationship with God, you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, right now, here's your time. We're going to pray a prayer with you. We're going to invite you to pray from your heart to the Lord as if he's standing right before you, just to make that decision today. Say, God, right now, in the name of Jesus, you can pray, Father in heaven, forgive me of my sins. I made a mess of my life, and I can't do this on my own. And so I'm trusting you. I'm trusting in Jesus' death and his resurrection. And today, I proclaim him my Lord and Savior. Lord, I ask you to fill me with your spirit, to change my life now and forevermore. My life is yours. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. If you, if you took that opportunity and you prayed that for the first time, I just want to pray a blessing on your life. Would you just slip your hand up? Say, Pastor Joey, I prayed. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you. Anyone else? You can put your hands down. Anyone else? All right, Lord God, you saw the hands today. Lord, I'm so thankful that they made that decision. God, and I just... I, confident in your word. You said, if we ask your forgiveness, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I thank you, God, that right now, before the foundation of the earth, God, before the throne of heaven, their slate is wiped clean. There is no more stain, no more shame, no more brokenness, God, that they are holy, clean, and beloved. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you begin to enlighten their eyes, to come alive in their heart, Lord, giving them the reality of their new identity in Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that your love would just so overwhelm them and comfort them right now in Jesus Christ. And I don't know what they're going through in their life.
But I pray, Lord, that their eyes would be open, that they'd have eyes to see, ears to hear. They'd have an open heart and a ready mind, and you'd begin to work and move and change in them in dramatic and powerful ways. God, I pray you give them boldness to come forward, to be prayed for, to be, receive the Spirit. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that as they come, you'd even begin to do the activation of faith. As we trust in you, we trust in your word, that when we ask, that you will receive. If we seek, you will find. If we knock, the door will be opened in Jesus' name. Let's all stand together. As Tony leads us in a song, if you've not received the gift of the Spirit and you're ready just to surrender to the will of God for your life, then when she begins to sing, I invite you to come. Come and we'll lay hands on you and we'll pray. Don't worry about what anyone else is thinking or doing. If you're not coming forward, I encourage you to pray for those who do or to sing along. But let's encourage an atmosphere of worship and connection and prayer as we pray. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you, and God bless.